Hello and welcome to Weeb Spawn. We talk about anything and everything related to anime and gaming. We are by no means experts, just huge fans. I'm your host Bobby, and with me is Joshua. Hello, Bobby. Glad to be doing another episode. Today's episode, we are going to be talking about the original StarCraft along with Brood War. And in case you haven't played them because they're <laughs> almost God, they're almost 20 years old. Spoilers ahead. Yeah, so StarCraft is a real-time strategy game that was created on March 31st of 1998, and it's owned by Blizzard. Blizzard first started developing the game in 1995, and the game was first debuted in, at E3 in 1996. An expansion pack named Brood War started being developed shortly after the game's release. So following many other franchise or also followed by many other franchise installments such as stealth based game StarCraft Ghost, but this was canceled and StarCraft 2 started to be in development in 2003 and and then that was released in 2010. A few other expansion packs and DLCs were developed for StarCraft 2. These were Heart of the Swarm, Legacy of the Void, and Nova Covert Ops. StarCraft received plenty of praise upon release, and it was often referred to as the benchmark of real-time strategy games. The game was successful globally, with over 10 million copies sold between StarCraft 1 and Brood War. The following games were also very the games that followed that were also very successful and received praise. Uh, and by 2017, the franchise earned over one billion dollars and holds four world records in the guinness book of world records gamer edition like that's a that's a pretty long history and for when it first came out getting seven or ten million copies sold is a very big feat back in early uh gaming history like computer game history yeah back in 1998 when like the internet was just becoming a thing because I believe the original still had internet access. I know Brood War for sure did because I remember playing a lot of online Brood War. But yeah, this was like right when the internet infancy was a thing. So you didn't see like you didn't go on YouTube and see all these people playing it where that's where like a lot of people or a lot of games get the publicity. So I think it's a real benchmark that they were able to sell two or two, 10 million copies between StarCraft 1 and their expansion Brood War back before like the internet was really a, a thing. Yeah. Yeah, it's just it's really impressive. The whole Yeah, the the whole thing was just really impressive because they managed to build this as you said this franchise is 20 years old. They managed to build this from this small real-time strategy game into a legacy because as i mentioned this is the benchmark this is what other strategy real-time strategy games aim to be or at least they br branch off and evolve from it so this just it set the record and it holds four world records so it yeah it became a sensation really yeah like you said everyone kind of this is like you said, the benchmark of RTS games. Every any RTS game that comes out is almost always compared to StarCraft because while it didn't really change 
what the RTS genre is, they made it so well that it's like, this is what an RTS is. Like, this is what an RTS game should be. And that's, like you said, a great legacy to have. But if you guys don't know what StarCraft is, it is set in a fictitious future timeline during the 25th century AD in a distant part of the Milky Way galaxy known as the Capru Caprulu Sector. The game revolves around three intelligent species fighting for dominance. The Terrans are humans exiled from Earth who are now skilled at adapting to any situation. The Zerg are a race of insectoid aliens in pursuit of genetic perfection and obsessed with assimilating other races. And the Protoss are humanoid species with advanced technology with psychonetic, psychonic abilities who are attempting to preserve their civilization and strict philosophy about their way of life from the Zerg. The Zerg were always my favorite when I first started playing this game. And I, when I played it with you originally, because you're the one who showed me this game. And yeah, Zerg was always my favorite. I don't know why. It's just they were really cool creatures. I didn't really... Yeah, I don't know what really drew them to me. The Terrans were kind of boring to me because they were human, so it's like, whatever. The Protoss were pretty cool, but I don't know. The Zergs just really drew my attention in. So, the story of StarCraft is presented through its instruction manual, the briefings to each mission, and through conversations within the missions themselves, along with the use of a few cinematic cutscenes at key points. So the game itself is split into three episodes, one for the player to command each race, and that is, as we've already mentioned, the Zerg, the Protoss, and the Terrans. In the first part of the game, we play as the Terrans, who are the humans of this universe. AK, you, a.k.a. the Magistrate, help control a colony on the planet, who, which I believe may be your home planet of... Marsara? Did I yep. say that right? Okay. With the help of Marshal Jim Rayner from the Zerg Invaders. However, during this time, you and Rayner discover a Terran command center that has been infested by the Zerg and destroy it. This causes the Confederacy to arrest Rayner for the destruction of Confederate property. So just like any game any like because this has a lot of like political aspects in it within the game as in even though the terrans are fighting it's always brought on by a three-way war the terrans the zerg and the protest but even amongst that there's like a civil war going on the confederacy who's known to be corrupt and that's why this like is a straight cause of it why like Rainer is immediately almost turning to a rebel because he, he there was an infested command center like you couldn't do anything to it like the Zerg had complete control over it so you decided to destroy it from it spreading but then they're like oh according to law you destroyed confederate property you're under arrest and so there's this whole little backstory between all this stuff that it's a lot intertwined throughout the story. And it's like, what a terrible, like, government system you have. You don't even realize that your outpost is overrun. Or if you do, you have to have a scapegoat of, like, attacking Rainer and be like, you destroyed this. It's like, if you had eyes, you would see that it was already overrun. Like, we can't do anything about that. But 
whatever. You're just going to throw me under the bus. Got it. Yeah. So then we meet up with a person named Arcturus Manx, who is the leader of the Sons of Korhal. Korhal is like the, like, not the home planet, because I believe it's Tars- Tarsonis, but Korhal is another, like, major planet for the Terrans, who are a rebellion against the Confederacy because they know the truth of them and don't believe in the propaganda that's spreading throughout the system. Manx is able to free Rainer. And thus, Raynor joins the Rebels with you, and you'll see him throughout the game as an ally in multiple missions. Speaking of, between your next few missions, you help another fringe world planet in a revolt against the Confederacy with the help of Lieutenant Sarah Kerrigan, who is Mink's right-hand man, or woman in this instance. And with her help, you're able to fight off against the Confederacy and even capture Confederate General Edmund Duke, who was your previous commanding officer that captured Rainer. After the capture of General Duke, we learn that the Confederacy has been experimenting with psionic powers, who are the ghost units, and the Zerg have created a psi emitter, and with this, they call for the Zerg to annihilate a planet with nobody knowing it was them. We then use this against them, and planted one at our confederate er, at a confederate base with that our final assault on the confederacy home planet tartonus is upon us yeah so we learned throughout the missions about how they had a secret weapons program like all government seems to do of the side emitter that causes zerg to swarm to that side emitter so we decided to use it against a base and now because we weaken the, their defenses. Now we can finally get the home planet of Tartonis, like you mentioned. The only problem is during this assault, both the Zerg and Protoss happen to come at the same time. Sarah Kerrigan is left in charge to go planet side to protect the Zerg, of all things, against the Protoss. Because Minx doesn't want any of the Confederate forces to survive. And if the Protoss and Zerg engage in battle during the confusion, they could escape. However, after you manage to defeat the Protoss, Arcturus Menx abandons Kerrigan to die on Tartonis and leaves orbit. His true aim was to destroy the Confederacy and crown himself as Emperor of his new empire. Learning of this betrayal, Raynor takes a small group of men that have followed him since Marsera and leaves and he now becomes a rebel himself and that ends the Terran campaign yeah it's like things all of a sudden got crazy real fast it seems like all of a sudden we had like a three front war and things were just going down you have the the confederacy and everything just it was a clusterfuck I'll be honest, when I first played this, I didn't particularly pay attention too much to the briefings because I always, like, skipped a lot of it so I could just play the game because I, I was just obsessed with the game. But then when I when StarCraft Two was officially announced back in 2010, I replayed the original because that's what you always do when a sequel comes out. <laughs> and I was like, I read all that, and I'm just like, Holy shit, so much stuff makes sense now because it, 
this is more in Brood War. When we did some missions and some people died, I was like, wait, weren't they on our side? And because I skipped through the briefings, I never really understood the story. And then going back and reading all this, I'm just like, holy shit. Not only were we fighting a three-front war, we had to deal with this civil strife and like all this internal conflict that was going on. And then I'm just like, oh my god, everything just clicks together. <laughs> It's kind of crazy how that happens when you're obsessed with a game when you're younger and you think you kind of understand the story or what's going on and then you come back as an adult and play it and you're just like, whoa, the story's actually a lot more chaotic than I thought and there's a lot more to it. It's always it, very fun. Yeah, and it also just put much more emotion when I played StarCraft Two mm-hmm. and learning the continuation of the story and its ending and everything and I'm just like, Oh my god, everything, like, it's amazing how much this game actually set up for StarCraft 2 that you don't even realize. Yeah. Man, this game, like, I feel like there's actually just so much to it that people don't even realize. Because I feel like when you look at a a, um, real-time, like, RTS game, I feel like you don't expect there to be that much of a story. Because I feel like most real-time games or even top-down games like games that just look have this look to them don't typically have an engaging story or a story at all it just seems like you're there for the gameplay but this one really does have pretty in-depth story and that's actually one a lot of the praises it gets as a game in whole and we'll get to a little bit about that during the facts but it's just another reason why this is a staple rts game mm-hmm. Yeah, like I can really see why it's so appreciated. Even though I didn't play it uh, all that much like you did, I only kind of had the introductory course. But yeah, I can really appreciate the effort that went into building this game. So the next part of the campaign now focuses on the Zerg as you are speaking with the Overmind that controls all the Zerg like a hive state or a hive mind. So, you are now a new young celebrate, uh, cerebrate, yeah, that must protect a protect a chrysalis from being destroyed because it is the Overmind's greatest agent. We then bring this chrysalis back to our home planet of Zergchar, and we must defend not only against the Protoss who seek to eradicate us, but also the Terran led by a familiar face of General Duke on orders from the Emperor Menx. And I can't tell you when you first play this, because if anyone knows uh, StarCraft, they know what's inside this chrysalis. But, like, I didn't. I never, like, for a while I did it. And then you literally play, like, four or five missions protecting this chrysalis, and you're just like... What is this? What is it? Like, they did such a good job of, like, hyping up or, like, just getting you so intrigued onto what is inside this chrysalis. So I do give them kudos to that. Yeah, it's basically what we complained about for Attack on Titan, where they just give you all the information right when you need it. This game allowed you to kind of dwell on some information, doing it the correct way, like letting you... like build up all these theories like what is this why is it so important 
and then they kind of reveal that info. Yeah, not to mention because they mostly give you all the information during briefings or during key points in the game, you really didn't know anything until they finally revealed it. Which, in this case, we finally get to the mission after mission of protecting this chrysalis, it finally hatches. And, like, I'm just like, wait, what? It's Carrion! She didn't die, but she gets, like, reborn? The Zerg actually fused with Kerrigan's synodic ghost powers and has now become a brand new entity. And this just literally blew my mind because in the last mission of Terran, she is left to die. And then all of a sudden, now you have her as a Zerg. And it's just like, holy shit. But Kerrigan isn't the only familiar face we meet with. Tassadar, a Templar of Protoss crosses our past though escapes when we learn that Kerrigan is indeed and though he escapes we learn that this Kerrigan is indeed the Sarah Kerrigan that we know as he gives us a little bit of remnants of some of the old times when they met one another he gives a little spiel about I remember you once were so loyal and dedicated to protecting your home world or whatever as a Terran and now look at you and though he he escapes he has created a new power the Dark Templars who had the power to cut off the reincarnation of the Zerg and truly kill the Zerg Cerebrates and Overminds because as we kind of mentioned Zerg always just kind of like evolves and because they're like a hive mind even when they die they just get reborn and as so even if a cerebrate dies or even as like a zergling dies its soul or conscious would just get reborn into another zerg body but then we find out through tassadar that he has discovered a new power the dark templars who when they kill us our reincarnation stop and we are actually like dead dead i just want to go back for a minute to the part where Tassadar was talking to Kerrigan how she was so loyal and this and that. It's like, can you really hold it against her? I don't think she chose to be reincarnated as a Zerg. Like, I don't know. It just feels like... I, I get that he's kind of like reminiscing and stuff, and but it's like, this really... like Even though it is Kerrigan, it's not the same Kerrigan, even though it might have like all the same features and mentality in a way, but for the Zerg rather than... Um, but it's just like... I don't know. It's it's not her, so you can't really hold it against her. I love that you mentioned that because literally from this point on, that is almost the entire question surrounding Kerrigan's existence. From literally from is it her here, or is it not? It's from like here, literally until Legacy of the Void, until like the entire StarCraft franchise ended. It it. Kerrigan's pretty much like the main character of this series from this point on. And it's all about her interactions, about her with the Zerg. And I can't spoil too much because we might do like StarCraft 2 in the future. But I'm sure we will. Yeah. It's just that whole question, the whole morality of Sarah Kerrigan, that gets questioned time and time in time again throughout this entire series so and it just made like, me so happy you brought that up <laughs> i feel like that's just really good character writing honestly 
to have that kind of um, conflict with the player trying to determine whether this is or isn't really Kerrigan, that's good story writing when you can have this question go through multiple games and you still really don't know the answer. Yeah. So I, I, yeah, that's that's cool. Because even like once she get or once Kerrigan hatches and everything, you do learn that she is under the control of the Overmind. Though she has a bit more free will compared to like other Cerebrits, which are like basically the generals of the Zerg army. Like it's the Overmind, then the Cerebrates, and then everyone else. So she does have a bit more free will compared to other Cerebrates. But she is under the control of the Overmind because she is part Zerg now. So to uh, move on with this uh, conversation, because we probably could talk about this for a while. Because <laughs> it is an interesting like, point to bring up. And I know we like to get philosophical sometimes about our games. But uh, anyway, so Zeratul, the Dark Templar assassin that killed the Cerebit Zaz, for a brief moment during the attack his mind linked with the overmind and now we have a location for the hidden planet of oh god ire r ire ire every time it's spelled so weird ire the protoss homeworld and we finally make our final assault to assimilate the most powerful species as one to become perfect all that's left is to destroy the protoss temple created by zelnaga the creator of the Zerg, and all will be ours. So, and I don't know, I just love, basically for any show or game I play, I just kind of fall in love with the villain, because I feel like I, you play from multiple perspectives, so really everyone's a villain at some point in this game. Whether you're the Zerg, you're the good guy then, and if you're the protest, you're the good guy then. But, like, I feel like Zerg is just bad. Like, they're just not... They don't, they're not in it for the right reasons, and I just like that. I always like a character who does things for the wrong reasons. I don't know why. Yeah, literally the Zerg whole like process is to become perfection, and they want to assimilate the Protoss from it because they always, like we said, are very adaptive, and they constantly are reincarnating when they die, so they always seek to better themselves. And like you mentioned, the reason why I also liked it too is that you got to be in part of all three races. Like when I was a Terran, I was like, oh my God, like 100% these Zergs are the bad guy and everything. But then when you play as the Zerg and like you kind of learn about them, I didn't have, like I wasn't too much of like, oh, I'm I'm for the Overmind. The Overmind like is <laughs> right. by far. But like I still sided with Kerrigan yeah. because... It's the same thing, like, they did the same thing in WoW, is another World of Warcraft, another made by Blizzard, with, like, Sylvanas, how she was originally a very good and loyal person, almost like, just like Kerrigan, but then she gets turned into a monster, and then I always, I don't know, I always like that character arc of them turning, and then she becomes evil. I, I, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. She becomes evil in this game. <laughs> And I just loved it because even though she was, I was still like, I was still willing to fight for her while I was Zerg. And I think that comes down to um, like the strong character writing and just the the fact that even though she changed sides, like 
her uh, determination and her goals didn't really change. She is who she is, and like she's a strong character, so it's really good to, or it's really easy to side with her, regardless of what side she happens to be on at the time. And that's why I also think they did so good because even when we go to Protoss after a few minutes in, because you're you could technically in the game you could technically do whatever campaign you want first. However, they street the way we do it is the way this story goes. So they typically want you to do it because if you click on something else, like if you clicked on Zerg, it will give you a warning. You have not completed the Terran campaign. You will get spoilers. Are you okay? And you click yes, but. It's like after a few missions of them, it does such a good way that you bond with these characters that all of a sudden it's like, yes, I'm the Magistrate, I'm for the Terrans, and then now I'm a Cerebrate, I'm rooting for you, Kerrigan. And then lastly, we finally get to the Protoss, and then you become Executor. That's the thing. And it's like, yes, I'm with them at their feet. They do such a good way of doing it that you're Exit just like... Exitor, the, the Pokemon? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like you turn... Right, <laughs> you become a plant. I mean, he is psychic. But after the Overmind ends up overrunning Ire, the home planet of the Protoss, now it's time for us to become the Protoss. And like I said, you become Executor. Fancy name. And we are met with Phoenix, who I forget I forget how they named him. It was a hard word, so I kind of forgot to write it in. And we learn we are part of what's called the Conclave. You know, when when there's hard words, the best thing you can do is just ignore and pretend they're not <laughs> Exactly. And Aldarius, the Judicator, that is who is our like commanding officer, if you want to put it in easier terms. We are sent to strengthen our defenses against the Zerd. Also, that the Conclave believes Tassadar has abandoned his post. But just when talks of him comes up, he shows himself. And he claims he has spoken with the Dark Templars and with Zeratul. And tells them that if you kill a Cerebrate of the Zerg, they should all fall. However, Aldarius brands him a traitor for conspiring with the Fallen Ones. That's what they, the Conclave calls the Dark Templars. And after Phoenix's, Phoenix managed to kill a Cerebrate but is reincarnated. So Aldarius thinks he gave him false information. He doesn't realize that you need a Dark Templar to do it. But this is just like the Terrans, the Confederacy, and then the Sons of Korhal. Now we have to deal with the Conclaves, and then now the Dark Templars. So even in the Protoss, there's internal conflict when there's a world crisis going on. Yeah, there's like a galactic war, and then they're like, you know what, what if we started fighting each other rather than the enemy? Yeah, that, sounds, that seems like a good plan. That's a recipe for success right there. Though you could admit the Zerg was also, like, every race had their own Ooh. internal thing. Because Kerrigan, I don't know if it was up to this point. We might be just about to be getting into it. But Kerrigan was kind of at conflict with the Overmind or kind of doing her own secret agenda. So you could kind of say there was some conflict between the Zerg as well. Man, you would think that 
these races that are trying to strive for perfection and world power, you, you might, if looking at closer inspection, you might think they actually don't know what they're doing. That's just me. <laughs> so, after the failed attempt at killing the, the Cerebit, uh, Phoenix is killed in action, and now we must go and capture the traitor Tassadar. While doing so, we learn of the secrets of the Templ Dark Templar and how they can destroy the Cerebrate for good and join forces. So, yeah, it's like, they're like, hmm, maybe the Dark Templar are onto something? So, of course, this means defying, a, or like going against the Conclave and will be marked as a traitor as well. While learning more truths about the Zerg, we learn from another that Phoenix is alive. His tattered body was recovered and placed in the robotic cell of a dragoon. Is it dragoon? Yep. Or is it pronounced? Okay. And now he joins us as we must rescue Zeratol and save our race. So to go... Yeah, there's just like twists left and right. Yeah, so to go a little bit more into this, because I don't think you ever really played the Protoss campaign. No, that was the one, like... I've watched you play it, but I this was at the point to where we kind of skipped the story a lot. So yeah. I played a little bit, but I mainly played Zerg, and I liked watching the Protoss because they had a lot of characters I didn't quite understand. So, yeah. I always liked the Protoss later on once I actually started like getting into their campaign. They were just a very hard race to uh, play. But, so literally within, like, two to three missions right after we learn of like we go to capture Tassadar then we learn that Tassadar is actually doing his best against the Conclave because he knows about the Dark Templars Zeratul gets kidnapped and then Phoenix died be right before this and then literally like two minutes two missions later all of a sudden we're re-announced with Phoenix as a Dragoon and we're just like wait I thought you died. So many things happen in this span of like three missions that it's just crazy because it's like all this is happening all at once, which just kind of, though it didn't give you too much about like the whole Phoenix coming back, it's, but it just really gives you the chaos that is ensuing, like not just within the whole Zerg and Terran forces and all this stuff but of all this internal strife and everything in the conflicts that they're just trying to find out what is the truth, what is not. And then Phoenix joins us after he's been resurrected and everything. You're just like, what, what is going on? Like it just adds to chaos. And I really enjoyed that. Tassadar does end up being captured and he is on his way to execution because we can't just save everyone. After we save one person, another goes missing or whatever. And then Zeratul and his Dark Templar have seemed to have vanished. So now, when we learned everything, all of a sudden, now it's like all hope seems to be lost. Until another familiar face comes to help. Good old Jimmy Raynor comes to return a debt to Tassadar for help saving them back on Char. And once we manage to rescue everyone, Zeratul leaves, leaves us with devastating news. Just as the Overmind went in his mind to find Ire, he did the same to learn that the Zerg were indeed created by the Zelnaga, 
who also is I don't I can't remember if they created the Protoss or they are ancestors to the Protoss, but basically they are one and the same or from the same like descendant. With the Dark Templar's powers, they were able to defeat the Cerberus and now weaken the Overmind. So now comes the final assault to reclaim Ire, their homeland. Tassadar manages to channel his own psychotic powers and Zeratul taught him how to harness the power of the Dark Templar and he manages to combine them with his ship and crashes it into the Overmind, sacrificing himself in order to destroy the Overmind. I really liked the the twist, right? Like in this part, part where we learn that basically the Zerg and the Protoss are from the same descendants. They're basically the the same, and it's just really cool to know because they're fighting each other. One because they want like supreme power. Basically, they they want to be the ruling class, but it's really cool to see like the Zerg how they are so different from the Protoss because of their search for perfection. But really, they, they came from the same place, but they are so completely different. And I find that very interesting. But it also adds a nice little, I guess, reason why the um, the Dark Templar is a power is able to kill the Zerg because they basically are the same thing. So if you're using the power, I don't know, it, it creates this link that allows some sort of reasoning for why the Dark Templar are able to destroy the Zerg, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think it, it just helps adding, like, lore to it. That, mm-hmm. like you said, it doesn't... Like, we don't even... I don't think we really even know anything about this until, like, post-game of Brood War into StarCraft Two. So you're left 10 years without knowing <laughs> a, like, an answer to this. Mm-hmm. And kind of how you said... The Templars are the Protoss. It's weird. Their intentions are to eradicate the Zerg. They just happen to eradicate Terran planets as well. If Zer- even like one Zerg gets to a Terran planet, they think the best thing is just to eradicate it all. They're very like radical, almost like religious. Hence, why their main units are Zealots. Mm. But Tassadar, like death by fire. Yeah, exactly. But Tassadar went against that to save the humans. That's why Jim Rayner comes and returns his debt. And that's why Tassadar was also branded a traitor because he was going against the Conclave thing. So, But it is interesting because Zerg and Protoss basically want to eradicate each other. And then Terrence kind of just got in the middle of it. But because, you know, Terran human power corrupts, they want to... Terrans want to take over everything so they become the enemy of everyone too but yeah it's just weird how Protoss and Zerg it's they're literally probably going to be the more opposite of each other one has psychotic psychotic powers and are like they but the thing is I don't know if we this is probably going to be a spoiler because I don't know if it is explained, but they actually both have a hive mind esque type thing because the Zerg controls everything with the Overmind with its hive mind mentality. And like you can't, like the Overmind controls everything, so the other Zerglings and stuff can't disobey it. 
the Protoss, if you look at, none of them have mouths. They all speak telepathically. And the thing is, they're all linked together. So if one person knows something, the someone else can learn of it through them as well. So they all have like a tel telepathic link. So I think that's just another cool thing, like lore-wise, that it also kind of reinforces that they're from like the same descendant. Yeah, that's really cool. Uh, yeah, I don't think that's something I would have really noticed, but it's like a nice little foreshadow, like... It's not just like you said, it's not very clear because they are telepathic. They don't have mouths. It's something that's subtle, but it's like, how do they communicate telepathy? And then it kind of like, that's exactly how the overmind works. So yeah, it's like that one little, if you piece it together, things start making sense. So that is basically the end of the original Starcraft, but the story does continue with the expansion Brood War, where once again, they separate us into three segments through, though this time the first being Protoss. And though they were successful in killing the Overmind, the Zerg are now in chaos and begin to hunt down every last Protoss. The only, their only hope is to go to Shakuras. 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 Home planet of the Dark Templar. Uh, now another Zelnaga temple has been discovered with the power to completely eradicate the Zerg from Shakuras. But we need two crystals. The search for these crystals, uh, Uraji and Kallus, yep. begins. We need to get help from an unlikely ally, which is Kerrigan. With the Overmind killed, her senses seem to go back and inform them a new Overmind is forming. And while the assault, while they assault the Overmind, we go to retrieve their Uraji crystal. So to go over this a little bit, because... Yeah, lot, lots going on. Yeah, because I think, again, you primarily only played the Zerg and I think this one, too. Yeah. I was going to say, this is this story is basically sort of new to me because, once again, when I, like, I was learning this, it was through you at playing, because I don't think I actually played this specific expansion, but I was there with you when you played it. I think that you only played the online custom games with me on this oh one. Oh my god, those were so good. Yeah, because this is the... When we get to the Zerg, it gets my all-time favorite unit in StarCraft. Uh, but before that... So even though they managed to destroy the Overmind, because of its hive-like sake, it kind of kept order. But now it's like... Think if you had a pack of wolves... And the alpha told, gave them orders, and then you, or an army with a general gave them orders, and then when the general dies, how everyone kind of scatters. Well, that's what happened with the Zerg, except they still hunted down the Protoss on their planet because all they really know is to kill and, like, pretty much, yeah, pretty much kill. So even though they were successful in destroying the Overmind, they were still too overwhelmed to actually reclaim Ire. So they end up fleeing to Shakuris, the like you mentioned, the home capital of the Dark Templars. And there we learn, like you mentioned, the Zeldnaga Temple, that the Zerg followed us from Ire and is attempting to like destroy Shakuris. So a way to completely eradicated him as to use the power of the Zelnaga. But then in order to do that, 
we don't have the manpower and Kerrigan, who seems to regain her senses, tells them that, hey, there's a new overmind forming. If you don't help me kill it, you're just going to start back at square one because if this overmind reborns, um, then they're like, the Zerg will be under all rule, which they didn't believe because they're like, Tassadar killed it. Well, the remaining cerebrates morph together to try to form this new overmind. So that's the whole, that's the layout of exactly what's going through. And, but you know, everything can't go right without a little internal strife in this game, can it? Alderis, the forever adjudicator of the Conclave, ends up beginning an uprising against the Dark Templars because of their aiding with Kerrigan. Because Alderis kind of came to our side with Tassadar and treated Zeratul as like an equal. He put aside his differences and everything. But then he's like, you're going to side with Kerrigan, the one who destroyed our home planet that killed millions of our lives. And he just couldn't do it. He's like, no, I'm not doing this. And so he begins an uprising. And now we must go and strike down Alderis, but Kerrigan ends up being the one to get the final blow. And this is when her true intentions are revealed. Because we dealt with this and they dealt with the Overmind, with the Overmind destroyed and the Cerebrates that will be destroyed using the temple, using that temple on that Chakuris, Kerrigan shall gain full control over the Zerg. Though Zeratul and Artanis know of this, they have no choice but to continue so they may rid the Zerg of Shakuris. The temple activates, and now Shakuris looks almost like a wasteland, but it's free of the Zerg. And because of that, now Kerrigan can have complete control over the Zerg. So she basically manipulated us to help her, but then even if we found out, we had no choice because the Zerg threatened to overrun Shakuris. What a mess. What a mess. And before I go on to this next part, I remember we were talking about uh, earlier before we jumped into Brood War. And I had a thought that I wanted to say, but then I forgot it and I remembered it now. Because you were talking about how uh, the Terrans have this, like, human mentality of just wanting to take over the like take over everything. And we got in the middle of it. Like, the Terrans got in the middle of this giant war. If the Terrans were smart, they would have just waited for the Zerg or the um, Protoss to wipe one of them out. Like, fight really hard. And one of them's kind of come out the victor, but really weakened. And then that's when the Terrans should have just jumped in and attacked and took them out. And then they would have been able to live happily ever after. But the Terrans apparently wanted to jump into this war while they're having a civil war and everything. It's like... <laughs> idiots well so to explain that the one reason was the zerg was just infesting every planet they could so that it makes sense why we were trying to fight back and reclaim our colonies but then the reason why we uh we kind of started fighting the protoss is they just came to burn it down mentality yeah because right before you actually go to masara in the very first mission we learned that the Protoss destroyed another colony planet just because of the Zerg. Like, they literally destroyed the planet and then just warped out. Like, nothing ever happened. And so... Peace. Yeah, so it was kind of hard to, I guess, hide that news. 
So if you were the commander and you were just like, oh yeah, we're not going to actually go after them, even though they destroyed a whole planet of ours, we're just actually going to let them go. I don't think a lot of yeah. people would have been too yeah, happy I guess about that, that. I guess that wouldn't have fly, wouldn't have flown. So since we're on the topic of Terran, we now go back to them, which we are part of the United Earth Defense of UED. Admiral oh De, Gaulle. De, De Gaulle and Vice Admiral Stukov, Stukov yep. uh, tell you to invade Dominion forces of Braxis. The two forces of the Terran now, because if you remember in the last one how he said they defeated the Confederacy... So the sons of Korhal now call themselves the Dominion, who are led by Minks. But then another <laughs> uprising came because he was just as corrupt as the Confederacy, known as the United Earth Defense. These guys are actually from Earth, where the other ones are from Korhal and Tartonis. So... The Sons of Korhal now are called the Dominion, and from now on they will be known as the Dominion. So that's why I put that. That's what they're referred to as. Mm-hmm. So a lot of confusing shit happens. <laughs> yeah, pretty much, because this isn't too explained, because this is why in the Brood War I got confused when we started killing certain people that we'll find out a little later. But I'm just like, wait, so I thought Minx is the bad guy, but then I'm like, are we the bad guy? Because <laughs> we're usually, because usually <laughs> we part being now? the bad guy, or quote unquote, like the rebels or whatever mm-hmm. that lead to this. But then like you learn more about the UED and I'm just like, I, I don't know who is the bad guy anymore. <laughs> yeah. So a lot of shit happens that I don't understand because I didn't get as deep into this game as you did. So I'm going to be very little help. <laughs> But, yeah, we're the baddies now. That's basically what it comes down I to. I think. I'm still not 100% convinced. That yeah. Re- really? I think the whole Terran doesn't Everyone. know who's bad or good at this point. Yeah, I think with this, the main, the moral of the story is in war, everyone's the bad guy. Pretty much. We are then tasked to steal some battle cruisers from the Dominion thanks to information by Lieutenant Duran who de Gaulle refers to as a traitor, but I don't know what, what he did, honestly. Neither do I. Like, no. he just, I was rereading some of the briefings. <laughs> He's just a traitor. Yeah, because it's like, he literally refers to him, like, after the whole briefing, he goes, are you sure we can trust this? He goes, no, you know he, I know, or you know how I feel about traitors. And I'm like, wait, they he literally give why? no explanation about that. They just why call him a traitor? traitor. And I'm just like... Mm, why it's like did I, I think i might have missed something and i look back and like literally i believe the first mission of terran and brood war is the first time they mentioned lieutenant duran and i'm just like like who are you apparently maybe he was maybe he used to be with the dominion and now because he's with the uad he's a traitor so that's why de gaulle thinks oh if he betrayed the dominion what makes him think he won't betray us? That's the only thing I could think of. Yeah. Honestly, your guess is, is better than mine. So, <laughs> so yeah. while we stole some ships, we also managed to steal some information, specifically 
about a psi disruptor that is able to actually disrupt the Zerg's ability to communicate and actually kind of like makes them passive. But Duran says it must be destroyed. So that way it doesn't fall into Emperor Minx's hands. Admiral de Grand agrees, but Stukov voices his opinion against it, saying, with the disruptor in our hands, we can make an assault on Korhal and with the disruptor in our hands, we could like put an end to this Zerg war. And so he says he destroys it, and that brings us to our assault on Korhal to eliminate Emperor Minx. And though just when we finally corner him, Rainer, of all people, and a group of Protoss seem to warp him out and take him back to Eider. So this is why I get confused as to who is who, because I thought Rainer was the good guy, and he hated Minx, and then all of a sudden now he came to save him, and now I'm just confused, because this even confuses Dugal, because he's like, why would Rainer do something like this? And now I'm I'm confused as well at this point. <laughs> you know, to be honest, I've been confused in this game for a long time now. <laughs> <laughs> you know, despite this being such a well-acclaimed game, and I appreciate the popularity and it being a solid game, the story sometimes loses me. So, there's so much going on. And I feel like the information given to us is like information overload sometimes so it's like i don't know what's happening yeah i can yes. i can get that sometimes too so it's it's a game i like but sometimes it's a game i don't follow during the assault duran moves his forces away so that the zerg are able to intervene and stukov starts to realize that the real threat is duran the thought or yeah the thought of destroying the the side disruptor and the timing of the Zerg attack really can't be a coincidence. Although, or though the action he takes makes it seem as though he is a traitor since he abandoned the fight on Iyer and didn't destroy the side disruptor. So, um, Admiral de Gaulle orders Lieutenant Duran to destroy the disruptor and take necessary actions against Stukov. And it's, yeah. It's one of those things again where it's like, Things are happening, and I don't know how, why. Yeah, because we really didn't, because we really didn't know that Stukov knew of this. We only find out in the later missions. So it is very, like, we're just like, wait, what's going on? I I had a feeling something was wrong with Duran. I didn't think he was what he was. But the way he acted and his, like, arrogance against, like, Stukov and all this stuff, you kind of get a hint that maybe something wasn't right with him. And then now we get to this where, once again, we're met with more betrayal. As Stukov's last words were pretty much saying, don't trust, Dur don't trust Duran because the side disruptor was our only hope against the Zerg. And after Duran kills Stukov, after this mission, Duran just vanishes. And with the disruptor to keep the Zerg at bay, because I forget if he wasn't able to destroy it, because Stukov's last words 
got through to De Gaulle and he was able to like salvage what he could of the Destructor. And we lead the attack on Char and using the Disruptor to keep like all the Zerg at bay. Duran comes back one last time so that Admiral de Gaulle may meet with Kerrigan. And we finally learn that they have actually joined forces to stop the Admiral. And even though the Admiral was able to defeat the Zerg on Char, the UAD is victorious. But now there is still a lingering threat. Kerrigan. The, fin- the finale is finally upon us for Brugor. It's time to be the Zerg. With Kerrigan, she calls for help from Raynor and Artanis to help stop the UED since they just got control over the Overmind. Knowing that the history of or knowing the history of Earth, Kerrigan convinces them to help destroy the Overmind, even if Raynor and Artanis still don't trust her. Reluctant they may be, with the help of Minx, we learn that Raynor only saved him because Kerrigan asked him to, and to and asked him to get the Psi emitters to take, uh, to take back her Zerg and destroy the Psi disruptor. In return, she will help the Emperor Minx reclaim Core Hall. So, so I feel like in this time, like at this point, we're starting to learn some like true intentions of people, and. Yeah, I don't know. It just seems like one of these times where it's like, okay, maybe certain people aren't as bad as they seem, but also like some could be. I don't, I don't know. Yeah, because this is a really good part. Because this is honestly the part where Kerrigan almost just like takes over. Because Rainer and Artanis want to, like you said, are reluctant to help because when the UED captured char they didn't actually destroy the overmind they were able to like capture it using the disruptors so now they essentially control the zerg on that planet and so that's why she says kerrigan's like you know people's power you know if you let them go have the power of the zerg it's not going to end well and Raynar knows this artanis knows this he they both know the horror of the zerg so that's why she's kind of like, again, with how she forced Zeratul to help. She, she's kind of like forcing them, giving them no choice but to do this. And that's why she needed Minx's help because of those Psy emitters are able to reclaim control over the Zerg. Because if we remember from the first game, those are what called Zerg to different planets. Or that's what attracted them. And another really good thing I like about this is... Just for a moment during the briefing, once everyone leaves, you are left alone for Kerrigan. And for a moment, it just really solidifies the fact that we are part of her swarm when it's just us. I just think that was a nice little touch they added to it. And just like Kerrigan said, she keeps her word. And once they destroy the Overmind and she has control over the Zerg and she returns Cole core hall to minx but not without destroying a heavy sum of dominion forces along the way while killing both phoenix and edmund duke who was minx's right hand man now in order to weaken him and after you kill phoenix rayner comes to make a declaration that it may not be today or with an army 
but one day he will kill Kerrigan. And with this, the UED foothold is gone, and all that is left is to destroy the new Overmind left on Char. However, without Dark Templar's powers, she cannot destroy it for good. Thus, she sets a course for Shakuris once more and kidnaps the Matriot Razagal. Zeratol now has to help Kerrigan, but though he was reluctant, it was the Matriarch's will to have him destroy the Overmind as it is a common foe. After destroying the Overmind and reclaiming his Matriarch, it is shown that she is under the influence of Kerrigan. I feel like Kerrigan has her fingers in everything. Uh, Zeratol quickly re uh, takes her back to Ire, where he attempts to save her. It is expected that uh, Alderis knew of this. That is why he began the uprising at the beginning. But Zeratol is forced to kill her, but Kerrigan lets is, Kerrigan lets him flee, knowing that the anguish of killing her is worse than death. So the whole suspected thing is he does mention Zeratol does mention that some of the Matriarch's decisions have been different from what he's used to, and that there might be something clouding her judgment. And that is why it is suspected that Alderis actually knew something was going on with the Matriarch. That's why he began this uprising, because he wanted to stop her before she could spread more influence. And like you uh, said, Zeratul was forced to kill her in the end. And Kerrigan is like, ha, you should go, you can go and flee. Because Zeratul was expecting death. Because she's like... I know the anguish of killing your matriarch is going to be worse than death. So I think that was also a nice little touch there. Again, with her manipulating literally everyone. And so we finally get to the final mission. The finale we've all been waiting for. We see the UAD, Artanis, and Minx all unite against Kerrigan to defeat her. But she proves to be too much as she is able to defeat every fleet. Minx, with what surviving fleet he has, manages to flee back to Korhal and attempt to recover and rebuild the Terran Empire. Admiral Dugal, however, leaves a suicide note to his family detailing his mistakes with Stukov and that they could not control the Zerg no matter what the news may say they did. He then shoots himself with a pistol to commit suicide, but unfortunately, no UED ships manages to survive, and Earth was left not knowing anything that had transpired here. However, the story doesn't end there. In fact, there is a bonus mission that is unlocked. You remember how Zeratul was left alive? Well, he begins searching for Artanis when he notices a Protoss signal. And upon further look, what he found were test subjects of a Protoss-Zerg hybrid led by Duran. Duran is not actually under Kerrigan's control, but a higher power, he claims. And that he has hidden hundreds of these test subjects across numerous worlds. And when they finally take form, the end 
will come. Da -da -da. I was just about to say, dun dun dun. <laughs> that leads up to StarCraft 2, but you didn't know about, like I said, there's a 10 year gap between this. So, like, you're left with Kerrigan basically taking control over everything. Zeratul, the Protoss, left in shambles. Terran left in shambles with the UID completely destroyed. Emperor Minx, now the only person, and Raynor, too, with his rebel forces. So it's just like, the world seems to be over. And then you learn of this Protoss-Zerg hybrid that Duran, who wasn't really a Terran or a Zerg, because he, he claims he has, like, he goes by multiple names. But you may know me right now as Samir D Duran. And I'm just like, so who the fuck are you? <laughs> yeah. Um, I feel like at the end of this, because you are left with, like, Kerrigan taking control of everything or whatever. After 10 years of not having a game, like, of no StarCraft, I bet... I mean, I don't know how it is because I wasn't really waiting for it. But I feel like most people would be like, wow, that was the end of the game. Like, that bad guy basically won. And then StarCraft Two comes out and it's like, oh, shit, there's more to the story. Hold on. Yeah, and one thing I do enjoy about this is StarCraft Two, through all the games, do wrap everything up. And I'm just like... <sighs> It's such a good story. Oh, StarCraft <laughs> is by far my favorite franchise for a game. And I'm just like, oh, going through those 10 years and finally getting the new one and playing all of them, knowing the story and everything. I'm just like, oh, I'm so glad I played them. <laughs> and I'm over here like, yeah. I still don't understand the story. <laughs> it is... Brood War got very confusing. Like, the first one I understood because it's like, okay, the Confederacy was corrupt, so they try to bring someone new to power, but then we're like, at the very end, we find out he's corrupt as well, and Reynard still is trying to fight the good fight, and like, all that. But then Brood War came, and then it's like, even more internal conflicts between each race, and I'm just like, okay, so wait... You gotta remember who's who's on whose side because there's a lot of side flipping. Say, <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say you have to remember the sides, and then I feel like I keep forgetting people's names, so I'm getting people mixed up all the time, and I'm like, I don't know who you people are. I think the biggest difference is Artanis changes a lot between the original and StarCraft Two. Mm. <laughs> but <clears throat> my question of the day to you guys is, what is your favorite race? Or favorite race and favorite unit. Because I mentioned this earlier because I, I didn't actually say it. But in Brood War, there's a unit called the Lurker. Who can only attack ground units but burrows down to attack them. And they were by far my favorite unit. Those when was... Brood War came out, I tried to win the game entirely with Lurkers. If I could. <laughs> but... Though that might yeah, be my favorite are... unit, I think the Protoss are my uh, favorite race to play. Yeah, I really liked the Zerg, and I don't know, I just... They had some really cool features, I feel like. I don't fully remember all of them, but most of the stuff, I think, had to do... I used to get a lot of spawn pools, 
And I think I would also get, like, um, Lurker Dens a lot, because I also like Lurkers and stuff. So, I don't really have a favorite unit, I guess. I Maybe maybe the Lurker as well, but, um, yeah, basically anything Zerg is just what I'd liked. <laughs> I was pretty basic, pretty simple guy. I see a Lurg, and I, I send him out. <laughs> I mean, that's <laughs> that's, that's basically the premise of the Zerg is to overrun with numbers. Yeah. So, I mean, you played them correctly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I. That's probably why I liked them though, because it was such a simple position to play, like a simple character to play. Whereas Protoss had a little more of a learning curve. Yeah, I never fully got to be like brought the potential the Protoss had, but. Terran, I felt like based around a lot of uh, defenses, like building defenses and stuff mm -hmm. like that, which was fine at a point, but I like the whole warping of the Protoss and everything. But like you said, they had a high learning curve. But if you had that learning curve, oh, you could be devastating because you mm -hmm. could warp in an army yeah. from nowhere and then all of a sudden they would be screwed. Mm -hmm. ah, man, it is a fun game. And there's a reason why it's so popular. But, um, yeah, so let us know what your favorite race is and your favorite <coughs> character. So the facts for today are StarCraft's popularity resulted in some Guinness World Records, as we mentioned earlier. And some of these included best-selling PC strategy game and largest income in professional gaming and largest audience for, gaming er, for a game competition. So those are... I feel like pretty big uh, world records. Now you got to remember also, this is talking about the original Starcraft. And mm -hmm. so this is back when like esports was not a thing at all. So like, if you look up some of the things, I think like one of the largest audience was like 120,000 people, which I know, like I think league of legends did like a million or something like two years ago, but this was back in 1998. When there was no esports team, but this literally almost created esports because of StarCraft. Yeah. Pretty impressive. And then we have, though StarCraft doesn't stray from the typical RTS style it manages to do so well, it is widely hailed as one of the most important and best RTS games of all time, and it has become a milestone to compare to for all future RTS games to come. They, I mean, they just did it so well, and they basically set it in stone. I don't think any RTS game will come out and be the new RTS basis. Um, I mean, I guess that's kind of a bold thing to say, but, like, I don't know. They kind of are, like, the grandfather. Yeah, I think it would be very they, hard. They weren't the original. They weren't the original, but they definitely were the pace. I think... Like you said, they weren't the original, but I think they perfected the original style to like the extreme mm -hmm. to where like you like it's mentioned, they didn't do anything really revolutionary to the RTS style, but they just did it to like textbook example of what RTS is. And I think that's mm -hmm. why they did it it's so well and it's so claimed because if you think of RTS, I think the first game almost anyone would say would probably be starcraft but absolutely absolutely 
And I think that'll be it for this episode. So don't forget to show us some love and support at patreon.com slash wavespawn. And of course, don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at wavespawn. And you can contact us at wavespawn at gmail.com. And I've been your host, Bobby. And I'm Joshua. And we will see you guys next time when we weep spawn.